Welcome to Wonderland, the podcast where I go down the rabbit hole to research things you may be curious about. My name is Ami, and I'll be your guide on this trip to Wonderland. Hi, and thanks for clicking play on this episode. I'm glad you've joined me for this one, which may be a reminder of civics lessons you learned in school. As the news in recent months has been particularly heavy with things about the government and what they're doing, I found myself trying to remember what I learned in K-12 about how the government works and thought it might be worth going down the rabbit hole for. I wonder. 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 Today, I'm talking about branches of the government and how they work. As always, let's start with the basics. Do you know how many branches of the government there are? Three. Three. Two. <laughs> three. There are three branches of the government. You may have remembered this one from class. The federal government is composed of three branches. There are hundreds of federal agencies and commissions that handle various responsibilities that range from space, forest, intelligence, and welfare. But the force that governs us is just three distinct branches. Any idea what they are? Um, I don't know. This is terrible. Executive, legislative. Gosh, now I feel a little... Gosh, the third one slips my mind. Okay. Judicial. Executive, legislative, judicial. Legislative, judicial, presidential. I don't know the third one. Judicial, executive, and legislative. The United States is governed by the legislative, executive, and judicial branches, whose powers are vested by the U.S. Constitution and Congress, the President, and federal courts, respectively. These specific branches are established by the United States Constitution and Articles 1 through 3. We'll talk more about what each branch does, but before we get there, let's take a minute to talk about some concepts that came into play when determining our government. What does the term separation of power mean? It's a balance and control that allows for any one of the branches to not have more power than the other. Dividing power. Um, I believe this is my understanding that nobody is over the other, so there are checks and balances in place. That no one branch or person has supreme authority? Uh, it's kind of like a checks and balances that, that no nobody has too much power, so it gets thrown through checks and balances. Way back in the time of ancient Rome... Greek statesman and historian Polybius described a mixed regime with three branches in his analysis of the government. The branches he laid out were the monarchy, which was the consul or chief magistrate, the aristocracy, which was the senate, and democracy, which was the people. And he asserted that they were all three crucial to a well-functioning government. Later, during the Enlightenment, Charles Louis de Secondat, 18th century French social and political philosopher, coined the phrase Trias Politica, or Separation of Power, in his publication, Spirit of the Laws, which is considered one of the great works in the history of political theory and jurisprudence. More importantly to our subject matter, his work inspired both the Declaration of Independence as well as the U.S. Constitution. 
he suggested that the most effective promotion of liberty was to have three powers, legislative, executive, and judicial, that are separate from each other and act independently of each other. This division of government responsibilities into these three branches limits any one branch from exercising the functions of another. The idea is that this breaks up the power and provides for a system of checks and balances. So then, what are checks and balances? What check? What type of checks? 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 No. <laughs> checks and balances as it pertains to the three branches of the government. I don't know. Basically, it, it means that no power is greater between any one of the groups. Preventing one person from having supreme authority. So, like, when they want to pass a bill, it needs to go through Congress and the Senate and things like that. Something that the government uses so that nobody has absolute power over somebody else and they don't abuse their power. So who's got the power? Tell me who's in charge of this country that's so vast and large. Well, as you see, the three give each other challenges. Well, each other It doesn't have anything to do with the bank or your money, but rather describes the fundamentals to maintain a fair and just government. The purpose is to keep any one branch of our government from becoming too powerful. Back to Articles 1 through 3 of the Constitution. The system for our government is laid out, and these articles include various limits and controls on the powers of each branch. James Madison wrote in his Federalist paper, If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. In the United States, each branch exercises powers that can then be checked by the powers given to the other two branches. For example, the president serves as commander-in-chief of the military forces, but Congress controls the budget and votes to declare war and also must ratify peace treaties. Now that we've discussed the purpose of the three branches, let's talk a little more about what it is that each branch does. Who makes up the legislative branch and what does the legislative branch do? The legislative branch is the is Congress, so the Senate and the House. They have the responsibility of either one declaring war or two um, passing laws as well as bills into law that affect the budget of the federal government. People and they make the laws and send it to approval from the other branch. The House of Representatives and the Senate and they propose and debate and try to pass through bills to be signed into law. I think the legislative branch would be your Congress where they um, introduce bills and things like that. I'm gonna guess legislators. If you remember, the powers for each branch are laid out in Articles 1 through 3 of the Constitution. The legislative branch is made up of the House of Representatives and the Senate, and its powers are outlined in Article 1. This article was ratified on June 21, 1788, and portions were later changed by the 14th, 16th, 17th, and 20th Amendments. Congress, which is both the House of Representatives and the Senate together, 
is granted by the Constitution the sole authority to enact legislation. In order to ensure checks and balances, this branch is also responsible for declaring war, confirming or rejecting presidential appointments, and has substantial investigative powers. The House of Representatives is made up of 435 elected members, with members being divided between the 50 states in proportion to their total population. There are six additional members who don't have voting rights, but who are a part of the House. These six represent the District of Columbia, the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, American Samoa, Guam, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and the Commonwealth of Northern Mariana Islands. Members of the House are elected every two years and must be at least 25 years old, a U.S. citizen for at least seven years, and a resident of the state that they represent. The Senate is made up of 100 senators, two for each state. The ratification of the 17th Amendment in 1913 changed how senators were chosen. Until 1913, they were chosen by state legislatures, but the 17th Amendment moved that right to the people with popular vote. Senate terms are six years, and a senator must be at least 30 years old, a U.S. citizen for at least nine years, and a resident of the state they represent. The vice president of the United States serves as the president of the Senate and may cast a decisive vote in the event of a tie in the Senate. The powers assigned to the House include the power to initiate revenue bills, impeach federal officials, and in the event of an electoral tie, elect the president. The Senate has the sole power to confirm the president's appointments that require consent, as well as consent to ratify treaties, with notable exceptions. The House must also approve vice president appointments and any treaty that involves foreign trade. The main function of Congress and the legislative branch, however, is to provide legislation or make laws for the United States. In order to pass a bill, it must first be introduced to Congress. Technically, anyone can write a bill, but only members of Congress can introduce it. After it's been introduced, it is then debated, updated, and if all goes well, eventually passed into law. Before a bill can become law, both the House and Senate must pass the same bill by majority vote. Who makes up the executive branch, and what do they do? I do not know. The president, and the president will sign in any laws that are passed by Congress. Gosh. I think the executive branch... I'm trying to remember, it's been a while since I've had to explain this, but I believe the executive branch would be the, uh, I think that that would be like the president's side, like vice president, things like that, right? And what do they do? Govern the country, The they're the uh, commander in chief and things like that. Executive branch is made of the president and it, I think one of the things it does is it, confirms or denies laws. The executive branch is the president, vice president, and the cabinet. They have the power to sign bills into law, as well as some executive powers uh, also afforded to them. The power of the executive branch is vested in the president of the United States of America, the vice president of the United States, and the presidential cabinet. Article 2 of the Constitution outlines the responsibilities of the executive branch. This article is ratified on June 21, 1788, and portions of Article 2, Section 1 were later changed by the 12th and 25th Amendments. The most recognized component of the executive branch is the President of the United States. The Constitution lists three qualifications to be President. 
the person must be at least 35 years old, they must be a natural-born citizen, and they must have lived in the United States for at least 14 years. We discussed a moment ago about how the legislative branch passes laws to govern us, but in order to ensure separation of power, it is the president and the executive branch who must sign the bills into law or veto them from becoming law. In order to keep this check balanced, however, Congress may override executive veto with two-thirds votes from both the Senate and the House. Part of the way the president executes and enforces the laws created by Congress is through 15 executive departments, each of which is led by an appointed member of the president's cabinet. The president also has full authority of other federal agencies, such as the CIA and EPA, even though their heads are not part of the cabinet. Additionally, he, or she, appoints the heads of more than 50 independent federal commissions, such as the Federal Reserve Board or the Securities and Exchange Commission, as well as federal judges, ambassadors, and other federal offices. If you include members of the armed forces, the White House cites more than 4 million Americans are employed by the executive branch. As I mentioned earlier, the president is also commander-in-chief of the armed forces. As a civilian officer, the president doesn't typically direct battle strategy, for example, but wields power by doing things such as ordering troops to fight overseas, negotiating treaties to end hostilities, and launching nuclear strikes. The primary responsibility of the vice president is to be ready at a moment's notice to assume the presidency if the president is unable to perform his or her duties, whether due to death, resignation, temporary incapacitation, or if the vice president and a majority of the cabinet determine that the president can no longer discharge their duties. The vice president is elected alongside the president by a method called electoral college. Until the 12th Amendment was ratified in 1804, the vice president was whoever received the second most electoral votes and was not someone chosen by the president as a running mate. The cabinet is made up of the heads of 15 executive departments, and each member holds a place in the line of succession to the presidency in the order in which the departments were created. The 15 departments are the Department of State, the Department of Treasury, the Department of Defense, which was initially two departments, the Department of War and the Department of Navy, but the two departments merged in 1947. The Department of Justice, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Commerce, and the Department of Labor. These two, Commerce and Labor, actually were one department until 1913. The Department of Health and Human Services, which was the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare until 1980. Department of Housing and Urban Development, Department of Transportation, Department of Energy, Department of Education, Department of Veterans Affairs, and Department of Homeland Security. The head of each department is given the title of Secretary, with the exception of the head of the Department of Justice, who carries the title of Attorney General. The earliest departments were formed in 1789 and were State, Treasury, War, and Justice, then just called Attorney General. The newest addition is the Department of Homeland Security, which was added in 2002 following the 2001 terrorist attacks on September 11th. Who makes up the judicial branch, and what do they do? I believe that's the Senate, and they they vote to pass the bills that Congress would pass. All right. Do you want to reconsider that one? Do I? For the judicial branch? Is that the courts? Supreme courts, I think. That's what it is. <laughs> legislative is the legislative is Congress and the Senate. 
and the judicial would be the judges. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I got Judiciaries, and <laughs> I do not know. Judicial. Uh, the courts. What oh. uh, Rule on cases and uh, bills that are being argued against. The judge. The supreme judge. Thank you. And the other nine. The other nine? The other eight. The other eight what? Judges. Oh, for the Supreme Court? Yeah. Gotcha. The judicial branch is made up of the Supreme Court as well as federal district courts. And the Supreme Court is charged with overseeing or hearing cases that debate the constitutionality of laws. Honorable, the Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. All persons having business before the Honorable, the Supreme Court of the United States, are admonished to give their attention, for the Court is now sitting. God save the United States and this Honorable Court. Also ratified on June 21st, 1787, Article 3 of the Constitution establishes the judicial branch. There has only been one change to this article since its inception, and that was due to a change by the 11th Amendment. This article leaves Congress considerable discretion in the structure of the judicial branch and federal courts, even in deciding the number of Supreme Court justices. Since 1869, there have been nine justices, one chief justice, and eight associate justices. But there have been as few as six in our nation's history. Justices are nominated by the President and confirmed by the Senate. In addition to allowing for the Supreme Court, the Constitution also gives Congress the power to establish inferior courts, which try mostly federal cases, and 13 courts of appeal which review appeal district court decisions. Federal judges do not serve a fixed term and serve until death or retirement, or until impeached by the House and convicted by the Senate. The thought is that these long terms insulate judges from temporary passions of the public and allow them to apply the law without political or electoral concerns. The courts only try actual cases, which means they do not issue advisory opinions on the constitutionality of laws or the legality of actions unless the ruling has a practical effect. The Supreme Court of the United States is our highest court, but typically does not hold trials. The court's primary task is to interpret the meaning of the law and how it should be applied to a particular set of facts. Once the Supreme Court has ruled, all lower courts are obligated to follow the precedent set when rendering decisions. Having a case go before the Supreme Court is not a matter of right, but rather the court must be petitioned for a writ of certiorari, which is the court's custom to grant if four of the nine justices decide that the case should be heard. There are around 7,500 requests filed yearly, and fewer than 150 are typically granted. By determining the constitutionality of the laws that are passed by Congress and signed by the President, the judicial branch provides a crucial check and balance to our legislative process. So how much of that did you remember from school? Was this all a refresher, or did you learn anything new? Trust me when I say this topic presented a lot of additional rabbit holes I had to be sure to stay out of so we wouldn't have a semester-long history course instead of this short episode. Thank you for joining me this week, and I hope that this short primer has been a helpful refresher if you happen to turn on the news. Until next time, be safe, be kind, and stay curious.
The Welcome to Wonderland podcast is copyrighted by Amy Bland and is a product of Barrett Gruber Entertainment and Media. This podcast is recorded in the Maddie Johnson Podcast Studio at GOT Sound Studio in Columbia, South Carolina. Any thoughts or opinions expressed as part of this production are those of the host unless otherwise indicated. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please follow, like, and share this podcast. Find us on Facebook at Welcome to Wonderland the Podcast and on Twitter at Wonderland underscore pod. To submit corrections, additional information, or request for episodes, please email the host at Welcome to Wonderland the Podcast at gmail.com. Welcome to Wonderland as part of the GOT Podcast Network and a product of Barrett Gruber Entertainment and Media.